Therapist Thrival Guide, where we cover all of the things that graduate school didn't teach you. Welcome to the Therapist Thrival Guide. My name is Miranda Barker. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Lucas Bellini. I'm a political pundit. Interesting. He's also a licensed marriage family therapist. Yes. And has been doing it for at least 10 years. Yeah. And with us today is the incredible Catherine Jargo. Catherine, could you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about um, your trumpet playing days. I'm just kidding. Oh, man. Coming up from Winona, Minnesota. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. How long have you been a therapist? Um, Not that long. I have to do math. Un momento. Um, Five years? Six years? That's great. What is your... I was a social worker for about a decade before that. A license, just at the bachelor's level or... Master's level, but not a social work master's, so you don't get to call yourself the same thing. But I worked for government, so I could yeah. call myself a social worker. Yeah. I worked with folks coming out of uh, civil commitments and then later on folks coming out of jail and prison. Oh, wow. I didn't know this about you. I know. Well, so... I was listening to you the other day on episode one or two or something I was like Miranda and I need to talk more yeah yes. yeah we're both coming from government jobs union exactly yeah. in the in the Ellie life now I did my stint in government yeah what did you do in government worked for Carver County for three years oh, we're in an adolescent detriment program oh sure yes okay. yes so, got in a lot of trouble <laughs> for what everything that's fair are you going to elaborate well, it was just county, you know, like I call it the Anika program. It was based on Buddhist philosophy. People didn't like that, but it worked. Mm, I bet it did. Yeah. It's like it's hard to be a disruptor in a county system. Absolutely. You immediately make a lot of enemies. Hard to be creative in that system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're listening and you are working for the government trying to be creative, we believe in you. It's a hard yeah. job. We believe mm-hmm. you can do it. You are needed. So are you a licensed clinical social worker? What's your I educational background? I am a licensed background? professional clinical counselor. Okay, LPCC mm-hmm. with some like social work flavor. Yeah. Um, I went to University of Denver. Woo-woo. Nope, Denver University. No, it's University of Denver, but it's DU. It's very confusing. Um, in forensic psychology, and that clo- as close as one could translate into the LPCC track for Minnesota. Okay, that's so interesting. Yeah, I applied to their PhD program in forensic psychology. A long just, time ago. Can we just take oh, right. a break and yeah. you guys can tell us a little bit, like just a moment about what forensic psychology is and what you were hoping to do with this? <coughs> yes. it's Mine is corny and, and um, a f- so I totally was like in love with Silence of the Lambs <laughs> growing up. It's like, yeah. Good so movie. The behavioral analysis stuff, it's a good movie. And the books of those are based on um, all that FBI shenanigans. Delightful. Not exactly real. Hmm. So then clinical, like the clinical programs for forensic psychology, as best as you can say, is really just psych and law. So oh, some sure. sort of touch point with law. So sometimes folks will specialize in supporting um, victims of crime. Some folks will support sort of the criminal justice world. Many would argue they're all intertwined. So there's different ways to be a part of it. But That's awesome. Psych and law. Mm-hmm. So then were you planning on doing that? Out of your bachelor's or out of, were you planning on doing that? Forensic psychology? Yeah. I don't quite know what I was thinking. Huh. I was like 22. Yeah. I think I was like, <laughs> it's just like the books, right? And then you, and then you move on with life. Then you yeah. have your first internship and you're like, absolutely not. Oh, but really? That's okay. Yeah. Mm. Worked in juvenile probation for my internship, my first one. And then I was in a community, or no, excuse me, um, county correctional facility, jail, and uh, community corrections. Colorado has a pretty cool community corrections system where folks aren't necessarily in a jail, but mm-hmm. they are technically incarcerated, so it's more opportunity to be part of the community and then build a life. Weird. And so how did you end up in Minnesota? I'm generally from here. Okay. So I went to Denver for school and then came back. Nice. Got it. And so tell me about your role here now. So I am a um, clinical programs uh, director, so I support our humans and our teams in greater Minnesota outside the metro. So awesome. Community and clinic-based. Do you mm-hmm. still see clients? I do. That's awesome. I do see a handful every week. That's great. 
Poor guys. So do you supervise clinic directors or supervise therapists? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's a little bit convoluted, um, partly because I, I, I value having touch points with different programs. So I, del- I still support two um, community providers, and then there's um, six clinic directors. Six, seven. Let's say seven. <laughs> they won't know which one later. of you you, you forgot. You don't know who I forgot. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, yes. So today we want to talk about compassionate accountability. And we, when we were talking about this episode, a lot of people said I should talk to Catherine Jargo. Oh, my. Yeah, a <laughs> yeah. lot of people. Interesting. Yeah. Everyone likes you. You're, like, super likable. And I have an affectionate nickname which I don't think this is exactly where this is going but for the first year or two here I was a red pen lady Ooh, okay I am happy to let you know where your grammar went awry mm. um, mm-hmm. on your on your documentation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. nobody cares about that but it's important it they care if if your uh, message is unclear yeah because we're reading documentation to get your message, especially when you're supervising humans and I can't tell what just happened, we have a problem. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So that's usually where that came in. Well, yeah, I can appreciate that because it is, it is an aspect of clinical documentation that doesn't get a lot of appreciation or focus. You know, there's, it's like maybe we assume that people understand grammatics, you yeah. know, and how to properly structure a sentence. But yeah, I've certainly reviewed clinical documentation that was, very difficult to comprehend, which oh, is yeah. problematic. Right. Yeah. So tell me more about this topic from your perspective, Lucas. When we say compassionate accountability, what does that mean? I, th- I think it's, well, I think compassionate accountability is a method we'll be talking about, but it's a method to address. And one of the elements of this profession that we don't, you know, we're not excited about, we don't necessarily get into this work, you know, to be met with this, but it's like when it, one of the realities that hits emerging therapists pretty quickly are demands on meeting your quota, making sure you're hitting your deadlines with clinical documentation. Uh, And when you're struggling to do that, you know, it's like the one end of it is as the supervisor, how do you approach the supervisee, you know, or clinician with a conversation around where they're struggling to kind of hit their uh, job requirements. But also, you know, I think it would be beneficial to dig into how to receive that, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way where it's, you know, constructive, you know, depersonalized enough, you know, or or maybe I would say not unnecessarily personalized to any degree. But yeah, it's like they're, they're tough conversations to have. What we know about therapists is we tend to rank pretty high in agreeableness, you know, from the big five personality research. And when you rank super high in agreeableness, it can be particularly difficult to engage in conversations that are not agreeable, <laughs> such as, you know, why are you only billing for 14 clients a week when the job expectation is 24? Mm-hmm. Um, why are your DAs, you know, uh, two months past due? And also why are they shit? Yeah. In or yeah. Or like, or why, time. yeah. Why is your clinical documentation insufficient? You know, yeah. um, not, not quite meeting that standard that we've talked about in other episodes. Um, and I would just say kind of square one from the get go. It, sucks having those conversations you know like having to sit down with an employee that's underperforming Mm -hmm. um and some of the best advice i got when i was moving into like supervisor roles was it's like don't wait for it to not suck it's always going to suck you know and the goal isn't to have those conversations in a way where it's like not at least somewhat uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um but you have to appreciate kind of the value and meaning around why it's important for people to perform at the standards that have been established. You know, and even when I say that too, I think a, an important point to clarify is the standards that have been established aren't always just arbitrarily decided upon by your employer or the agency. Do you mean like quotas? What do you mean by those standards? Like state legislative or like we're you know if you're uh, from minnesota we have rule 29 or we have 245 so we have like things our state says 
for an exchange of money on insurance claims, we need these pieces or something. Yeah. Like so that. like documentation wise, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's we adhere to um, a lot of uh, state regulated statutes, you know, mm-hmm. and um, standards and expectations. But also when it comes to hitting your client quota, um, you know, that's kind of an issue with insurance companies and managed care and how much we get reimbursed for each session a therapist bills for because to run a community-based agency of say 15, you know, outpatient therapists, if you want that to be sustainable, it's like you need to be generating income and revenue. Mm -hmm. And the way we generate income and revenue is through third-party reimbursement primarily. Um, And so when providers aren't hitting that quota, it's putting the agency in the red, you know, for especially if they're salaried um, or whatever kind of that payment structure is. And so those are always the things, you know, that kind of at the higher up levels of leadership, uh, a lot of the conversations we have are like, yeah, where's the revenue at? Um, How much are we paying our clinicians compared to how much they're bringing in? And that's all geared toward a pretty razor thin margin of financial sustainability to keep the organization Mm -hmm. running. So when we think about who this episode is for today, it's for supervisors who have to have tough conversations with their with their supervisees, with their therapists. It's for therapists who have to maybe listen to some of those hard conversations and and participate in those, take that feedback. Do you think that some of this, the wisdom or what we talk about today can also apply to therapists that have to hold their clients accountable for certain things mm-hmm. too? Oh yeah, like uh, paying their bills. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That sucks. That is one of the hardest conversations I've had with a client where yeah. you say, hey, this is this is the amount due and, and navigating those financial conversations yeah. or even just holding them accountable in other parts of their lives. Yeah, like late no shows. Yeah. Oh, um, I hate having that conversation. Yeah, frequent late cancels. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So compassion and accountability is essentially, it's like how do we address an individual's shortcomings, you know, and being accountable to a commitment that they've agreed to um, in a way that's constructive, in a way that is not dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, that, that does come through a filter of compassion, you know, because I think, and we see this play out all the time in various scenarios when somebody's maybe disappointing you or you feel like they're falling short. Uh, you can kind of start making sense of that dynamic by just being like, all right, well, this person's not doing what they said they would do. I need to tell them to do it, you know, or else, you know, but the other aspect to it is why, what's getting in the way of them living up to this standard? You know, why, why are they struggling? What's going on with them? So I had the pleasure of sitting in on a CEU that was trauma-informed care over telehealth. And it was two hours, so it was really like just touch points. But they were using – it was delightful, let me say that. They were using these ideas of the no-shows, the late cancels, the uh, not taking care of the bill in the portal or some of these other like what have become sort of standards in our field – as examples of what you were just saying about, okay, what is getting in the way? This feels mm-hmm, unusual. Mm-hmm. Or is it um, now in this particular training, many of the examples they came up with, they do align to some sort of trauma piece in their past or some sort of like behavioral pattern that um, was deeper than like a late cancel, right? Um, and I think that is part of that compassionate thing, the context, the um, how it informs our approach, our frequency of the conversation, um, what kinds of supports we put in place for that human for whatever reason. And we're therapists, so our brains work that way, hopefully. Not everyone should be in the field. So there's those pieces too, but Mm -hmm. it was a delightful conversation. No, that's so important. I mean, and I think you can apply that to all of the kind of points that we're hoping to drive home today because – when you so much of compassion is looking at the context yeah um and that's kind of up to the person in a position to check in on why things aren't going as they should be going Mm -hmm. you know and so how you start that conversation you know is going to be informed by how you're making sense of it and conceptualizing it yourself you know and i think you know an example for me 
that I thought of, you know, just this moment was, um, you know, like I went through a phase where I was having a really hard time with email, like a really hard time. Like I had a super strong aversion to email. Um, and you know, there was no shortage of, you know, instances of maybe seven, eight, nine people along the way being like, you never check your email. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. Start checking your email. Um, until somebody was like, Hey, why do you think you're having such a hard time with email? You know, just mm -hmm. like the first person someone asked me that, mm -hmm. like it, it was like, it was emotional, you know, mm -hmm. like it, I felt cared for, you know, and like, I felt like there was space where I could really think about that because I hadn't really thought about it, mm -hmm. you know, until someone created, um, created a space where, where I could, because I sensed that they were sincerely curious and concerned, you know, they were like, that's weird. Like email seems like an easy thing to do. It's like you're, you've been having a hard time with it. Like, are you okay? What's going on? What do you think it might be about? And then we spent a lot of time breaking it down and digging into it. I had way more clarity around it. And that was a, I would say that was a pretty big turning point and finally getting things on a different track. Um, and that was delivered through compassion, mm -hmm. you know, but it was also very clearly a conversation organized around accountability. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was never, it's okay that you don't check your email mm -hmm. because of this reason. It was like, it's, it's, it's still not okay. You're not checking your email. Mm -hmm. Like that is in fact a problem that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, but yeah, with compassion, I was, I was able to actually get to the crux of what it was about. And I mean, for me, at least what it came down to was, um, uh, phase in my life that preceded kind of the the email struggles uh, where I had anticipated a pretty important email and a number of those emails were like really disappointing yeah you know and it's mm -hmm. like so much to the point where like got to, like I didn't want to look mm -hmm. so it's not like I was looking at my emails and not responding it's like I couldn't even look mm -hmm. at email for a while mm -hmm. um you know and so it's it's you know, to bring more of a mindset, yeah, where we are contextualizing whatever it is that's going on and we're approaching these conversations, you know, with, with a solution-focused lens where we're not, you know, making accommodations that we shouldn't be making because we're worried about holding another person accountable. But, you know, accountability does never needs to be something that's removed from compassion. Mm -hmm. And I think especially in, uh, you know, like the corporatization of the world that we're living in and because people who run companies have such razor thin margins, you know, to stay sustainable. Um, we can forget about the compassionate piece mm -hmm. and it's not helpful when we forget about it. Gosh. And what a good question for them to ask. Mm -hmm. It, it gets to the heart and it shows that they care, but also is, I mean, you, you know why they asked that question. And I think that's, that's just really powerful. Yeah, and, and, and it almost just them like asking that question in that way changed it from something I just felt totally buried under to something that could have a solution. You yeah. know, like the something that could that there's a way out of. Well, you almost got control over it once you got to the root issue. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. I was present when Lucas went without checking his email for a little while and you know, I just knew that I needed to find him in person. If I oh to yeah, I was here. I was here all the time. You know, I was like, I'm here every day. No, but you do awesome. You do an awesome job checking your email now. It's great. Yeah, well, I do. I do an adequate job. You do above average. Above average. No one is coming back to you and being like, Lucas, we got to talk about the email situation. It's true. It's been a while. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's good. Mm -hmm. Um, what a good example. Yeah. What are some instances, you know, Catherine, you've probably had a lot of experiences of having to hold people accountable reporting to you. Are there methods that you found to be more effective than others? Um, sure. I think sort of to how you're, 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 you're talking about individual responses too. I think that can be a little bit messy in the beginning, no matter what, what the relationship is, whether it's staff and client peer-to-peer, -peer, supervisor, mm -hmm. supervisee, whatever the case is. You got to kind of like feel it out. Um, I had someone tell me that, um, you know, what you're talking about should never be a surprise. Mm -hmm. So there is something to be said about, okay, do we have a, um, do we have like the base really clear to humans 
Um, I think there's some frustration over like you sign the document. It says the thing. Help me understand what you're missing, what's missed. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you're still going to be having these conversations. So methods are just like, um, um, often having these conversations often, even if it's not necessarily accountability conversation about like, this is what needs to change, but it can also be like, keep this up, name the thing that should continue. And then you're still having the conversation so that if there is something that needs to change, You've already built a base of like we can have these conversations, we can talk about documentation. Um, doesn't it suck when you have a month of notes to do? Someone tells you you have a month of notes to do, and you're like, "Yeah, I know I have a month of notes to do." That's I all I think need, about. Like a Captain Obvious, thank mm-hmm. you very much. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't talk about it. So I think there's just ways of like, I am not a great validator. Not my strength. But I am a frequent bringer-upper of the thing. Mm-hmm. So I think we all have our talents of, of, of how we can do those pieces. And actually in the big clinic director, uh, clinic manager, and associate clinic director meeting we had a little bit ago, people were talking about, okay, so what are my strengths and what are my struggles mm-hmm. and who has an opposite that I can be like, hey, you need a validator, you're going to go to that human, um, but let me know when you need an action plan. So there's also like a – delegation piece that I think can come up. Um, I've seen leaders do that when folks are having trouble collecting balances from their clients. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not my comfort. I don't want to do it. You get like a bucky. What are we talking about? Angsty teenager, human, like <laughs> absolutely not. Okay, then then here's the alternative. Like, so I think choice is a big um, option or a big, um, what were you saying? Like, what are the go-to helpful tactics, choices, I think are always helpful. We yeah. know that about kids, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to do the dishes or do you want to clean the bathroom? <laughs> uh, Got to pick one. So choice, bring it up often. I used to um, I used to be on a drug court team, and they talk about proxal, nope, proximal and distal goals, right? So you don't have the same consequences if the goal is super distant for someone than if the goal is super right here. Mm-hmm. So if I have my humans that can write a awesome progress note, but can't keep their billable hours up. We're going to have different consequences, mm-hmm. even if in the grand scheme of things, it's all part of your job. So I think that's yep, that's an individual piece as well. Um, I could keep talking. Well, like when you said, these conversations shouldn't ever come as a surprise. Yeah. You know, and so whether that's with a supervisee, you know, and their expectations of their employment, you know, or a client paying their bill, it's mm-hmm. like both of those things should be well established at the get go of that relationship. You know, it's like when you bring on a new therapist, make sure they're familiar with mm-hmm. what their employment contract is. When you onboard a new client, it's like every session or every intake should have an initial component of discussing fees, mm-hmm. you know, and how they're going to pay for these services. Mm-hmm. I think what gets tricky with clients is, um, well, yeah, I mean, it, it does just suck, you know, and a lot of it is us, again, battling the realities of managed care. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've been in situations where, you know, I'll, I'll be seeing a client with a $2,000 balance, you know, and it's 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 like they know that they have a balance past due because mm-hmm. they get the emails, you know, they get the letters in the mail. Um, but it's like it's because they have shitty insurance, you know, it's like they have a $4,000 out-of-pocket deductible on top of a $500 a month premium mm-hmm. even to have that policy, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like it's it's incredible how many people forego mental health supports because it's financially unattainable Mm -hmm. um and i would say the demographic that gets hit with that the worst is demographic that's you know makes enough money to not be on state insurance um but you know it's like they're living paycheck to paycheck in a lot of ways and it's like when when they're in that deductible if they have a high deductible plan it's like my intakes for therapy are billed at 240 dollars and they have to pay that mm-hmm. fully out of pocket. Yeah. Um, and so it does suck because a lot of times part of what they're struggling with is stress from finances. So you can have you can have empathy for them. What if if you were having this conversation with your client, what would you do? Like would you just say, "Hey, time to talk about finances. Hey, how much can you pay today?" Like how would you go about that? I mean, I, I guess it's hard for, I mean, honestly, at, like at this point in my career and life, um, if they're financially strained, mm-hmm. I would clear their balance. 
like that's not good advice for the general public. <laughs> Um, it's unhelpful. Very unhelpful. What I would well, I would say I would say it's not necessarily. I wouldn't do it in a way that was unhelpful. You know, like it's never just been a. All right, forget about it. Let's not worry about it. Um, it's more of a. What would this like? What could this mean? You know, and what might it free up? Um, and then it's not necessarily just clearing a balance. It's more so like, all right, well, let's just shift to like. I'd be more inclined to not bill. You know, to then, um, you know, kind of clear a balance. But earlier in my career, those things were absolutely not options, you know, and for majority of people, it is not an option. And I think what's most unfortunate about it is you have to be prepared for the client to stop coming because yeah. sometimes that will be their only option is to stop showing up. Yeah. Um, and so in those situations, it's it's. Can you still find a way to. Have a therapeutic conversation around that. Mm hmm. That is the piece I find very valuable with new humans to the field is this actually gets to be therapeutic. This actually gets to be you being a safe, kind, um, um, slow-moving human that's going to have a tough conversation and have um, said and mutual expectations. Um, that doesn't happen enough. And I think the other hope is that if you can have that with your client, then maybe you can go to your boss and say, actually, this is not a clear expectation. You can have those challenge points mm -hmm. where you don't always have to just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm totally going to do that tomorrow. It's going to happen. Absolutely. As opposed to like, actually, that's the hardest thing for me to do, and it's not going to happen. Yeah. And what are my options? And, mm -hmm. um, so I love it as a – I don't love it as a therapeutic opportunity, but it is one. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it goes with late cancels, no shows, um, kind of the intermittent flow of showing up. Like they come four in a row and then there's like two late cancels and you're like, son of a biscuit. And then it's like another <laughs> four in a row. And there's just these like, you also get to challenge and sort of adapt your own boundaries around that. Where am I comfortable? Where am I not? Yeah. Um, well, and even just saying what was behind that, like use, what you're saying is using some of these conversations as a therapeutic tool where you're talking about what's yeah. going on in your life, what's what's happening. Yeah, being able, like, we can get through a conflict. Mm -hmm. We can disagree. I can get it wrong. I think folks forget that part as a as an authority figure in these relationships. I can get it wrong. Um, one of my first humans I supported in the therapeutic process, same, had a big bill that racked up and didn't see him again. And I yeah. get how and why. And I, I know enough context in that situation where I'm like, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally get that what happened. And I'm good with it, but I work for a company. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we weren't so many people fold. We were like 15 of us, and there's just different spaces around uh, stakeholders, honestly. Yeah. And so then what did you do? It's sitting there. So, like, <laughs> would you have in that scenario – sent like paper statements and been like, I'm going to send a couple of these by mail, see what happens. Yeah. I, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm sure there's some, I'm sure there's some inner, I get, I'm really good. Maybe it's one of my superpowers to be like the thing. And then it's over here, not necessarily compartmentalizing, but mm -hmm. moving on from, mm -hmm. from some of those pieces. So for me, it was easy to send the communication. I think I, I'm a big fan of multiple communication. Mm -hmm. So I sent, um, official looking like the statements yeah. and I think I called and I probably had that human's um email or something mm -hmm. like that and then I I moved on with my life yeah I think um that's maybe something people have to figure out for themselves as they go into different kinds of work and work environments like how much control do you have over that if you don't have a lot know what you do have so that you aren't you know shooting yourself in the foot on some of these pieces and you're and you aren't getting wrapped up in something that's not going to change like way to put your energy in a really useless space right um i know what's sitting there i know that balance is sitting there mm -hmm. i'm fine it's been four years ellie seems to be okay <laughs> um i don't know what happens past that and i don't think i need to mm -hmm. but um i mean if you're in like private practice or you're doing your own thing that gets to be considerably more razor thin i imagine um it's all on you. Yeah. You want a team keeping mm -hmm. something afloat. But And I, I think yeah. when it comes to like compassion accountability with clients and client balances, like that is a situation that if you stay ahead of it, you don't have to find yourself in it. Right. You know, it's like run run a monthly 
report yeah. of owed balances mm-hmm. of your caseload. It's like pretty much every EHR on the planet will do that with mm-hmm. the click of a few buttons. Um, the more clear the expectations are at the intake, you know, the easier it is to stay on top of this. Um, I do think it's best practice to have clients pay for their session either ahead of time at the get-go or I, I, sometimes at the conclusion. You know, I think it does feel better to pay at the beginning than at the end. Hmm. Um, I think running a credit card is a horrible way to end a therapy session. I was just saying my, my old therapist had the old like, well, you know, they'd like yep. <laughs> slap Time's their legs up. and they'd stand up and they'd be like, so running the same card? I'm like, running the same card. You know, it was that cracked me up. But it was it was sort of like therapy's done. Let's do some brass tacks and move on with our lives. So I had a my pretty – but that was standard from day one. So mm-hmm. that was an easy rhythm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you um, and if you – and it's – therapists tend to make this more weird than the clients do. You know, it's like clients are coming to a service that they know they're a consumer of. Mm-hmm. It's like expected yeah. that they're going to have to pay for it. Um, when therapists get real anxious about it and bring their own anxieties into it, that's when the conversation can, you know, one, not be constructive. But also I think that's when you lose track of where things are even at, you know. And so if you find yourself in a position where a client has a $2,000 balance, it's like where where was the conversation when they had a $250 balance? Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the the sooner we can bring it up with clients in a way where it's financially manageable for mm-hmm. them, you know, and then you can talk about like the feasibility of continuing. Yeah. You know, it's like, are you in a position where you can continue to pay for these services? If not, what might some of your other options be? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so definitely stay ahead of it, you know, but it's, it's at the end of the day, it's like you have to, you have to take yourself seriously enough to believe that you should be getting paid for the service that you're that offering. That the time is valuable, yeah. that it has a, an exchange rate. Yeah, and and people find it valuable. Yeah. Like the, that people, yeah, your clients are are getting something out of this. This is, and, and in some ways it does help it, help you feel more legitimate. I don't know. It just, it's Yeah, it's legitimate. Tricky. Yeah. It yeah. should, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, so money is just weird. Just in, mm-hmm. in general, we suck at talking about money. Yeah. I think just like I think that's the most uncomfortable question I could ask any client. I how much, I had how, much a grad how much money did you make last said, quarter? You got if you're going to this field, you got to be able to talk about money yeah. and sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you sex is do, easy. And then she used to make us say different words, and I was like, this is now getting really weird. <laughs> but those are like the two. If you can't, mm-hmm. and then one of the challenges is like go to family members and do that. Mm-hmm. I could do that with my clients way easier than family members. Oh yeah. But I thought that was valuable information. Like, actually, mm-hmm. we gotta be able to bring these up. Yeah, I don't think anyone in grad school knew for what reason you needed to be able to talk about money. Um, but it serves us well. Quick tip: so I I see a or I I used to see a client who um, their their health insurance was similar, where it was like I think they had to pay like four grand out of pocket or something before. Um, before the insurance really kicked in. And so what I would always do, and I, I talked with the client about this, but I would put an email reminder or like a reminder in my Outlook calendar for the 30th day of every month, I guess in February, I guess it was just the 28th or 29th, but um, the 30th. And I would always um, just run their statement and email it to them. And then they would just send me like an email confirmation back to like run their card. And so then I was just running their card. And, and it was it was just something that, wasn't weird because we had that conversation early on and we just had this like this is how I'm going to do this um I think I got that that tip from one of the clinic directors here but um just trying to again set expectations right away find a method Mm -hmm. you know find a method that is the least uncomfortable yeah I do the same with uh licensure supervisees like we've got it all settled. We've had yeah. the conversation up front mm-hmm. every at the end of every session, and I don't do it in front of them. Like mm-hmm. I'm like bye, mm-hmm. and then I go do the thing, and yeah. then email the receipt. Yeah. Even though some of them are like, I don't want the receipt. I don't need to know. I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah, you do, and then I give them the receipt. Yeah, I mean, but actually, even with you saying that, it makes me think about how I have never once paid for licensure supervision, and like thought, oh, this is such a waste of money. Yeah. Like every single time when I was getting supervision, I. I mean, sometimes it's so expensive and, um, and I would, you know, Venmo my supervisor or, you know, pay through whatever. And I used um, to delight 
in like sliding cash across the table. Are you serious? Oh gosh, we would oh, laugh that's so, so hard. Funny. I'd be like Karen, and like whatever the whatever the amount was. We didn't have Venmo back then. No. So I would just be like, Whoop. it was one of the most joyful moments of that's my Wednesday funny. nights for two years. See, and I, I just feel like if we find that so valuable and we have no problem paying that, then I think that we should, you know, turn that on ourselves and be like, we are also worth it. And clients view this about our services as well. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, wanting to pivot back, though, to hard conversations with supervisors or supervisees and kind of because you you were talking about so many good tips. You just rattled a bunch of them off. and. Well, it, but it was really good. <laughs> and, um, I just want to revisit, though. Um, we went off on that tangent because Lucas was saying this should never be a surprise. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but I wanted to go back to some of the other tips that you were talking about where, oh gosh, you were saying things like, <laughs> I don't know, I can't remember. <laughs> um, I mean, never, yeah, it should never be a surprise. Know your people, like your delivery and your system. Often say it up front. I don't know. So when you are talking to, I remember what I was going to say, um, and it was it was about bringing it up often. So for, for clinicians that aren't meeting quotas or maybe they're not doing well with their documentation, how often are you bringing it up to them? How, how do you bring it up to them? And then do you also bring it up for clinicians that are doing well? Like, do you just kind of have a a system where you're like, every time I have supervision, I just bring up quotas or? Yeah, the answer is yes. (laughs) Um, You know, one thing that's become a lovely tool within Ellie is our, our, like, we call them check-in notes. But really, it's just, like, all the things you could occasionally or often bring up so it's more like for the person starting the conversation and actually for the supervisee as well these aren't secret we talk about them together so every time or these are the topics that'll come is up. it like an outline yeah you, you've had one right or you check the it'll say like um it'll say like hours conversation or documentation conversation diagnosis cultural competency like there's all these pieces that we could bring up it's not a huge amount Mm -hmm. but it allows your brain to go oh yep 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 even if it's just like a temperature check so i would say yes i bring it up every chance i can even if it's like rock on Mm -hmm. or like whoa i know you were sick last week so i'm an out loud processor which is helpful with these situations right because i'm just rattling and they can choose what to grab a hold of um, so I do, I do often, I do tend to on Mondays, check things out, send everyone a note. Mm. Um, I once accidentally, accidentally on purpose, called everyone on my team through teams. Cause I was trying to show someone how to do a group call and I scared the shit out of every single one of them. They're oh, like, no. Oh God, Catherine called what happened? And I was like, that's a terrible response. So trying to have often communications like frequent, even if they're like, Hey, favorite meme of the day, go. Mm-hmm. So that we don't have that same visceral, like <gasps> Catherine mm-hmm. reached out. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean I'm good at it. It's just my intention of doing that. But yes, I try to say like, "Hey, this is awesome. So close. What happened? Where are we going with this? All those pieces." And it does tend to be around hours, billable hours. It tends to be around documentation. Sometimes it's even like I I would say a standard of being in this field is also like collaboration. Hey, I noticed. You haven't brought anything up. You haven't brought a case to consult about. Or um, we missed you at the last 17 meetings. That's not a thing. Maybe. <laughs> they quit and I didn't notice or something, right? Um, but, you know, I don't know if this is quite to Lucas's point earlier, but, like, I notice. Like, I see you. That doesn't mean I have an answer. And you're not hiding. Maybe that's your intention. But I think that's also if it is their intention. Then, then you start to tip into the conversation of coaching out. We sure. may not be the field for you, or we may not be the delivery for you. Um, different agencies are going to have different requirements around documentation timelines mm-hmm. or um, independence in your schedule and your control over the other pieces are going to have more or less. So that that's an opportunity to be like, maybe this isn't for you, and what would that look like, and how could this be different? Yeah. And if they're going to fight you on it, then I'm going to put my energy elsewhere. So if you have a supervisee or therapist on your team that's struggling with you know x y and z how do you support them to do better like what are some ways that you have found to help 
therapists, you know, see more clients or get back on track with some of these things? Oh, gosh. Um, the super rigid part of my brain says sometimes we make lists and like, okay, mm-hmm. let's just list all the things we talked about. And you just outright strike the ones that are not going to happen. Um, so I find that to be sort of like a you have some tools and what are the ones do you need me to stop bringing up? Right. Sure. It takes two to tango. Sure. Um, sometimes it is a, um, gosh, I remember one of the LE leads, one of the leadership summit daily bobs we had talked about different leadership styles. And one of them is, I don't remember what it was called, but it was basically like, you're going to do the thing. Like there's almost like a command style for like, actually you're going to stop seeing clients for the next two days mm-hmm. until you get all your documentation mm-hmm. in. And then you're going to call me at four o'clock and tell me how we're doing. And then we'll start the clock over. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, I'm calling it. Mm. I've actually had two humans tell me that that was a relief that they couldn't got a month of paperwork to do. My anxiety's here. Yeah. Um, I can't stop this runaway train. Not that I knew that going into it. I'm not that insightful. I was frustrated. So this was like not the greatest tool, but it turned out in that moment it was helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you're just calling it. Um, I've also found like who who do you know that's like doing something cool that you're interested about in let's have you peer-to-peer something. Or um, I've known some folks who just feel better about getting feedback from peers. I'm like, let's have them. Let's see if they'd be open to reading your notes and see if their feedback is different. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do that amongst um, coworkers as well. Like, I'm supporting this human. I'm so frustrated. It doesn't seem like they can hear me or I'm not saying it in a way they can hear. You try. That has worked well. Yeah. It doesn't always work, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But I think having options, choice, as a leader and as the person being led, it's a weird way to say that. (laughs) No, those are all such good options. Yeah. And I think when it comes to like quotas in particular, um, and this is a method I use with my kids a lot that's been helpful is it's like give them an opportunity to put into their own words whether or not they believe that this expectation is attainable and appropriate. Hmm. You know, it's like why why is your quota 24 build hours, uh, 24 build hours a week? Like do you, like what is that about? It's like do they understand? Yeah. Um, if they don't, they could be helpful to understand. You know, it's like you're salaried at forty hours a week. You know, seeing twenty four build hours, you know, leaves you sixteen hours in the week. Should that be enough to stay on top of your case, clinical case documentation? Mm-hmm. Um, is there enough? You know, like lay out a snapshot of the forty hour work week. Does everything fit in? You know, and if, if they can see a way where everything does fit in, you know, it kind of changes their attitude around living up to and meeting that standard, you know, because then it's not just an arbitrary expectation imposed upon, you know, the higher ups, you know, or powers that be, but it's something that they've come to terms with being within reason and just the reality of the job that they're working, you know, and if I also think, you know, we go into being a therapist without never with a very clear expectation of the realities of the actual workforce. Um, You know, and some people have the stamina to see 38 clients a week, you know, and never complain about it and always stay on top of it. Some people have stamina that kind of peters out around 15 clients a week, you know, and so if that's the case, it's like, all right, so now we're talking about multiple streams of income. You know, if you can do 15 clients a week, it's like, what else can you be doing within the field or maybe outside of the field uh, to supplement those hours to make sure that you are bringing in uh, livable income, if that's something, you know, that that you need, uh, and help them figure out what that's going to look like. And sometimes it is coaching out, you know, into a different agency, a different profession. Sometimes you're at a company where there's so much going on, you know, like here, you know, if someone could only do part-time therapy you know they could find something else you know administrative or leadership wise or whatever it may be to supplement it but yeah it's like you got to figure out where your stamina is at um and it's not always organic you know stamina like any other brand of stamina is something that can be conditioned and exercised uh but you need to know how to condition and exercise it um like i i went through a stint of seeing probably for about four years I would see 13 clients in one day. And I bet you were so efficient with your clinical documentation. Oh, I would leave every single night. I would go home with everything buttoned up. See, and that's, I think that's 
That's important. I had so much anxiety with everything you just said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's hear it. Oh, that's it. I mean, 13 in a day, that's bananas. Oh. But like it is. Um, yeah. But also, that was the only day I saw clients. Mm-hmm. So it was like Thursdays were my day that I would see clients. Oh, I'd start. That's different. That's yeah, I'd start at 7 a.m. Um, I'd see my my last client scheduled was 8 p.m. Um, I'd take one hour lunch break, you know, and it's like I never had no shows. It was almost like everybody would show up almost every single week, which honestly was almost better. Like it, I found that it was easier for me to just like get into that groove. Mm-hmm. and I almost get like disoriented, you know, and like go into this weird zone where I'm just in a flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then if I'd have a no-show, like I'd get totally thrown out of whack. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like at my lunch break, I'd stay to myself. I wouldn't go socialize. That would be like kind of my me time. Um, I'd write all my case notes from the clients that morning that I didn't get to, you know, squeezing in between clients. Um, and at the end of the night, I would just wrap up whatever I needed to do to wrap up because – like putting in that extra work at the end of a long day, but knowing that, you know, you're just leaving and shutting your door. It's like I would I would think about my clients those other six days of the week, but not in like a – like I think about them in a like clinical way, you know, like clinically. I'd be like, what what could I do here? Mm-hmm. You know, what direction might I be able to move this in? And yeah, like for me, that's – Yeah, yeah that's and so like then that other stuff is like being able to think creatively about what you're doing clinically mm-hmm. uh, that gives me energy. Um, you know, but that also did hit a point where it became no longer sustainable. You know, things in my life changed, my job, you know, my like, because te- I would do that as a supplement to teaching full time. Um, you know, and my, the nature of teaching shifted. It's like, it became clear that that also needed to shift as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not in my twenties anymore. <laughs> Um, and so you just pay attention to yourself, you know, and it's, you adjust as you continue to evolve and the circumstances of your life changes, but you know, it's like, you need people to help you. Like someone had to point out to me that that wasn't sustainable anymore. At one point it was like, it truly was. Um, but yeah, I reached a point where it wasn't. And that's just something you have to listen to and shift. I have heard that from a few different clinicians around, um, needing, you know, seeing seven clients a day and needing them in a row. Because mm-hmm. they get into a groove, because yeah. they get into that mindset or into that, like, um, you know, start, middle, paperwork, start, middle, paperwork. And then the no-show, the late cancel throws them off or the um, odd half day or something like yeah. that. And then I can't do more than three in a row before I just – well, first of all, my body's like, absolutely not. <laughs> um, but that's that's where I'm at with that mm-hmm. stamina piece. Do you need to, like, get up and move? Yes. Like when yeah. someone's like, absolutely, we should walk for our session today. I'm usually like, yes. Yeah. Um, I love sitting. I, I could sit all day. Forever. I can't even. Yeah. I'm super jealous of Miranda's swivel chair. I'm struggling <laughs> that mine is a stable one. And I think that's unfair. And you treated me poorly here today, folks. Are you not jealous of my swivel chair? Never coming back. Uh. <laughs> um, one of my, one of the f- conversations that I've always found interesting with someone either new to the field or new to this version of it is concurrent documentation. Hmm. And like, first of all, they're like, well, what does that mean? And then second of all, how does that look? And then the third one is always like, but don't, clients are going to get like offended that I bring my computer out. Like, no, they're not. But they, you're a big They fan. might, they could, if you do it well. I've been offended by a therapist having a client out during a, se- or during a session. Having a computer out? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it, it's still going to be like a individual conversation. That's the hope, but- when we start, I think we're, we're like all or nothing, right? Um, and I, one of my favorite, you're asking like, what are some tips and tricks? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm just like, here's what you're going to do, mm-hmm. right? And I challenge them to at least once a day, do a note with a, with a client, especially a kid. If you say to a kid, my experience is anecdotal. We're going to write what we did today. You tell me what it is. And then you type that sucker out. First of all, that kid's going to come around you and look at your computer. Mm-hmm. So be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that engagement is delightful. And I think it's sort of, takes even if you write gibberish or get like three nouns on the progress note you're already halfway there for whatever the next piece looks like and i think there's some fear around that for a lot of new humans like no pull that sucker out pull your computer out get them used to it mm-hmm. i always i used to say i'm not playing angry birds and i would turn my computer on and show them and then now that it's stuff's like, important angry birds mm-hmm. Catherine? i'm like okay yeah you know it's like and when you say concurrent case notes um 
have them be collaboratively concurrent case notes. Yeah. You know, it's like make it clear why the laptop's coming oh, out, yeah. oh, what yeah. you're doing on it. And like, yeah, if you're writing a case note about the session, it could be super helpful to have them reflect on the session with you, what was helpful. You what know, do you want your home, to what do you want to think about over yeah. the next What's the week? plan? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. the plan is always part of the case note. It's like why not have them be a part of it? Well, and uh, what were you saying about like asking someone to, to offer up? What do you think the barriers to these things? I think that with clients we can also say like what did you hear from today? Mm-hmm. It's that clarifying yeah. question piece. Um, but I, I found it also challenging within telehealth, right, because your eyes are darting all over the place. Mm-hmm. And when you're on the computer with someone, you're like, oh, stop checking your email while we're talking. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I out myself immediately. I'm like, I have your note mm-hmm. next to you or next to your, your face. Or like with EMDR, I've got the ball bouncing over here and I've got your face over here. So you're going to see my eyes going back and forth. Um, so I do, like I said, out loud processing as a tool. I think that's so important. That we should use. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we, we just were talking about um, like efficiency and clinical documentation. So I don't want to dive too much into that. But I think it is, um, it is a good suggestion for people who are struggling with keeping their their documents up to date and things like that well yeah so maybe part of that compassion accountability is like i give you freedom Mm -hmm. to to choose within this space of what works for you yeah we this is our end goal but how you get there Mm -hmm. for the most part is is fluid can change can be different week to week um can be a little bit goofy like I said, I dig it when kids write their own progress notes. Cracks oh, me up. same. I quote them. I'm oh, in. Yeah. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kids are my favorite to concurrent with because they, I, I do find that it really helps them think about what did we talk about today, and I mean if they forget, oh, I'll say like, well, what about when we were, you know, doing the puzzle? What 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 was our conversation? And I I kind of will usually be like, oh man, what was that conversation that we had? We were, yeah, yeah, and and then let them kind of say oh this and so what do we think we're going to do from from here and um yeah I just find that so natural to do with kids mm-hmm. and I think that gets to be the same conversation you're having with our peers mm-hmm. and the folks we support because it doesn't have to be like this shift in it doesn't have to be a code shift right um it gets to be the same kind of conversation the same structure consequences may look different yep You know, and so, yeah, give people options, you know, so whether it's concurrent, you know, case note documentation, whatever it may be. It's like don't assume that they've, they're aware of all the potential remedies to whatever it is that they're struggling yeah. with. But in every case, it's, it's when someone's struggling to be successful, the last thing they need is somebody to remind them that they're struggling to be successful. Mm-hmm. It's like they're probably already beating themselves up constantly throughout the day mm-hmm. out of that awareness so it's like offer solutions you know yeah. offer to work with them to figure out what the barriers to them being successful are you know and and yeah whether it's collaborating with other people that have different styles you know you think might be a better fit to get them to where they're going whatever it may be um but yeah it's like have be working toward a solution and make it clear that you're collaboratively working with them toward that solution because you care because you know they want to be successful mm-hmm. you want them to be successful you know and, and when it when it comes to client stuff you know we touched on the balances the other one is uh like uh late cancels no shows you know and clients are struggling to be consistent and i would say that's another one where you can do a lot of preventative work where you don't find yourself buried in a hole mm-hmm. where the conversation becomes just more and more uncomfortable to approach because it's just built as a tension in the therapeutic space. Mm-hmm. That is why it is so important to to talk about the late cancel policy yeah. right away because I, I, I feel so bad billing for late cancels or billing oh, for. I mean, I just yeah. feel oh, so I bad. I've, I've I've never done it. But I've you know what? I, I consistently do it. Recently, I've had to. I, I don't know what it is with just like it's getting colder, the weather. I don't know. But um, I've had more late cancels recently, or even I, I had a no show, you know, a couple weeks ago, and and I asked one of my colleagues, "Hey, what?" what's the language that you use when you are reaching out to a client saying, Hey, you know, because of the late cancel, here's, here's what I, I, you know, like because of the late cancel, here's the, the fee or something like that. And 
Um, and so that was helpful to reach out to a, a, a colleague about that. And they gave me some advice over it. And then I just wrote in an email and them, and, um, it was a, it was a mom that I was, I was talking to the kid was who had, had, had no can had, uh, had late canceled. And the mom was like, Oh yeah, no, that's, that's understandable. I mean, I think people are so much more understanding than we give them credit for. Well, and I've had folks who I've supported for years that have had like a late cancel and I was like okay yep and you know this like the late cancel fee has been charged to your account you'll see it in the thing and then I've gotten like pretty spicy responses from folks who this isn't new Mm -hmm. so I do think that 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 response isn't the thing that maybe we need to focus on as much as the consistency for ourselves yeah um with late cancels and no shows I have like a third step before I just close and that's, um, okay, you can call me on Mondays and see what I have available, but I won't mm-hmm. hold a spot. Mm-hmm. It worked really well for like three or four humans in yeah. on my caseload. And some folks I never heard from again. And mm-hmm. I think, again, it's that choice piece. It's sort of like honoring someone else's autonomy in that space. Like he, you've got the tools or the information you need, and I'm not going to take over that decision for you. Mm-hmm. So off you go. And I think that can also be something we use with the, fo- the supervisees in the field too. Is the um, I will I'm gonna stop right here because I honor the fact that you've got this and you'll find your way to it, or you won't, and then again it's that maybe we're not the, this isn't the right fit or this isn't the right fit or whatever those other pieces are. Yeah, yeah, that's only happened once to me, but similarly it was a it was a teenager who was living in a group home and um, he just his group home staff really struggled to get him here, and so you know after so many freebies of, of, you know, like no shows, um, or late cancels. Then I started, you know, having the conversation about charging those sorts of things. And then, um, it got to a point where I was like, all right, you know, Mondays, shoot me an email, I'll let you know what I have open mm-hmm. for the for the week. And then, um, and that worked much better with that client. And, um, so that is, a, that's a, I'm glad you highlighted that. I think that's a good tip for some people too, if they are not sure, like at what point do they offer, some grace at what point do they need to be more but for some clinicians when you talk about stamina some clinicians that's not within their wheelhouse of that flexibility for their week to week um i and and i think you have to know that about yourself sure. or you give it a try and then if you're still just as like kind of um wrapped into the attendance policy then that that then you that can't be one of your choices. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you guys are parents. I am not, but you can't give options that you're not willing to go with if that's what they choose. Yeah. You're totally yeah, right. You are screwed oh, yeah. if that's the um, mm-hmm. channel you're going to go down. Um, <laughs> I think it's a big tool within community when we have folks driving to houses. I used to have a, a human who I had to go 45 minutes, and if he wasn't there, Ooh. I don't mince words. That's and devastating. So we and he thrived on this tool i think for him it was also like um jargo i am not in a place to meet today i'm like cool cool cool. see you next week but i wasn't holding a spot there was no tension around it it was a mutual understanding and he um and he called he would call and and let me know and and then one day he's like this isn't working for me anymore i'm gonna do this i'm like cool yeah peace let's do a discharge meeting or whatever the case was but yeah, and like every every conversation you have with a client is a therapeutic conversation and a therapeutic opportunity. You know, so if they're no showing, if they're late canceling, it's like assume that you're not the only person in their life that they're doing that to. Mm-hmm. Um, but you al- might also be the assume, only person you're having that conversation. Yeah, also assume that you probably will be the only person in their life willing to have that conversation with them. Yeah. You know, because that's not something that works towards someone's advantage when that's how you go about you know, carrying yourself when it comes to commitments, you know, to meetings with other people, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, make it clear to them what it means when there's a no show or a late cancel, you know, that's, that means that's an hour of, that I don't get paid for. Mm -hmm. And that's also an hour that somebody else could have possibly benefited from Mm -hmm. that. There was no time to, you know, give them that opportunity to benefit from it, you know, but again, with that too, it's like everything, Everything is much easier when you stay ahead of all these anticipated realities of working with people clinically, you know, and so it's like find your own style. For me, it's I'm very clear at every intake that I only see people at uh, for weekly recurring appointment times. So like if you want to work with me, I have Thursdays at one o'clock open. I will need to meet with you weekly 
because if we're not meeting weekly, I can't be effective, mm-hmm. you know, and if I can't be effective, then it's not a good use of either of our time. Um, and, you know, make it clear too that I have a wait list, you know, and so it's like if you're not able to sustain and commit to those weekly appointments, then, you know, it's like I'm going to have to work with somebody that can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy to help you find um, another provider mm-hmm. that might operate in a way that, you know, is more flexible or spontaneous. Yeah. yeah. And they're there, you know, yeah. and it's like in therapists like, who do operate. most of my caseload. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, having a network's important for that reason. Um, that yeah. feels like an important point for new humans is like, you aren't the only person, mm-hmm. Miranda, who can no. support that. Case yes. Well. No. Say that again. Say that again. You are not the only therapist in the world. And I don't mean to like, like, you know, cut people's legs off, but I, I think we get into a place of like, but I have to. Oh, yeah. Yep. Turns out they're hot stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a barrier now in this moment. Yeah. And I and I, I I have one human I support who, because of financial constraints and just quite frankly, readiness to change or to even like admit there's something could change, we are on a monthly ad hoc basis. Yeah. And that works. Um mm-hmm. and it I can think of the other clinicians in my clinic right now and that wouldn't work. Yeah. There's just those different pieces of like well, thank God I'm not the only person for all of you humans. Thank God. Could you imagine? Out. the per- Absolutely not. It's like, and that's why that's a... I me- already am overcome with having two people in the room with me right now. I don't want to like overcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, it, it's, it's, <laughs> that's a huge culprit to burnout that I see is when therapists totally overinflate mm-hmm. the level of self-importance that they play in the lives of their clients. Mm-hmm. You know, I and am it's a like, helper, Lucas. I have one job on this earth. And... Yeah, and you're not you're not the only helper. I think that's also the part when you're like when you when you were talking about when I go home, I still think about my clients, but it's not like I, I think when someone gets in that um, tough spot, their brain is also always thinking about how can I accommodate those pieces, how can I yeah. make it work, and round what is it round peg square hole or something like that. There's some yeah, like I think about it. my clients frequently outside of session, but I'm not worrying about them. Yeah. Like I'm not distressed about mm-hmm. them. It's like I'm thinking of ways that I can creatively best support them and help them get to where they're going. Um, within your own skills and talents. Within your skills and talents. Yeah. yeah. And if like if you find if the barrier is your skill set, it's like, yeah, that's fine. Or your boundaries around time or your availability because you have tiny humans that need your attention at 3.30. Yeah. 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 And so – yeah, don't take yourself too seriously at the same time. Take yourself very seriously as a professional that deserves to get paid and reimbursed for your services. Um, That's good. I like that. And so, I mean, this, these are things too, and I think something that's evident in what the three of us share today is everyone needs to find their own groove with this. Everyone's going to need to figure out what makes the most sense for you and how you operate and how you're wired. And yeah, it's, it's all of our responsibility to organize our practice in a way that aligns with the things that give us renewable energy mm-hmm. and that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many different options of how we go about discovering that and finding that. And so, you know, accept support, you know, ask people for guidance. When you see somebody who seems like if you meet one of those people who does, you know, pound out 30 clients a week, build, and they're on top of their paperwork and casework, it's like, don't set that as your standard, but ask them how they do it. You know, what is their method for efficiency? Um, mm-hmm. With a lot of them, you might find they haven't written a case note in months. No, oh, please. You know, so it's that. an illusion. Um, and mm-hmm. so, like, that's problematic, mm-hmm. you know. But it's, it's yeah, figure out, figure out what your groove is. And also, when you do find your groove, know that that's not going to be your groove forever. I was just thinking that it can and m- most likely will change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It absolutely will change. How couldn't it? You know, if, if that's not changing, you're not changing. And if you're not changing, you're what Whitaker you're would refer attention. to as a dead therapist. Yeah, you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. mine's a little brighter. Kinder. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining, Catherine. This was so helpful just to kind of dive into this topic and what compassionate accountability actually looks like from a a therapist's perspective, a client perspective, and from a supervisor's perspective. I think that this has been so valuable and you have shared so many really 
tangible, concrete tips that people can actually use. I love that. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate your time. Like you can pound out the bass line with the lower end of the keyboard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have one more thought that I want to put out there. Yeah, please, Um, please. If there's someone in your life that is falling short in their expectations, you know, and someone that needs to be held accountable, when we don't hold people accountable what we implicitly communicate to them is we don't believe in them to be any better than what they're showing us right now Mm. and that's devastating you know and that's demoralizing you know and it's like when it's so when someone holds me accountable especially in a compassionate way it's inspiring it motivates me Mm -hmm. you know it's like those are the things that build people up to want to be better because somebody that cares about you just communicated to you clearly that they know that you can be mm-hmm. um, and that they're willing to help you get there. Um, so it's uncomfortable. You know, don't wait for it to not be uncomfortable. There's always going to be an aspect to that. And so the the remedy here is to just remain mindful of the meaning in doing it and also the meaning in not doing it. Mm-hmm. So, Words of advice. Thank you. That was good. Well, thank you all for joining. Thank you for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you in two weeks with our next one. Adios. Thanks, Drago. Danke.